uh, when you're tracking your spending, when you're just adopting naturally frugal outcomes that prioritize your financial well-being in the context of your happiness, you know, I think you'll find that your happiness is not going to change whatsoever, but a magical thing is going to occur in your bank account where you're going to start accumulating a much larger surplus, right? And this, you've heard this a million times in the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. How many guests have said the same things that we're just talking about right now? Hello, 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 and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my self quarantining co host, Scott Trench. How's it going? Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, and show you that by following the proven steps, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, just navigate this recessionary environment or the predicted recession, the coronavirus, self-quarantine, whatever it is. Go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business. We'll help you build a position capable of launching yourself towards your dreams, or at the very least, staying afloat in a recessionary environment because it's the same thing. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Okay, welcome to Bigger Pockets Money episode 117. We are recording this on Friday, March 20th, 2020, right before its release on Monday. So any 
revelations that came out over the weekend happened after we finished recording. We are trying to keep up up to date as possible, but we also need to give our fabulous editing team some time to work their magic. Uh, Last week, we spoke to JL Collins about the state of the stock market. And in that episode, he recommended staying the course and not selling your stocks. I sent him an email earlier today and got a response from him that he is still recommending this course of non-action. Today, Scott and I are going guestless. We are answering the questions that you are asking us. We asked in our Facebook group, what topics do you want to hear about? If you are not part of our Facebook group, you can join by going to facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. In the beginning of the responses that we got, Chrissy responded, as much as I would like to be in a position to buy great deals, I have realized the importance of reserves. I'm going back to basics of paying down debt and having reserves for my current properties instead of stretching myself thinner. And I want to kiss her. That is, except I can't because we've got coronavirus and plus I don't know where she is. I'm self-quarantining as well. I This is so strong. This is so smart. And I'm going back to basics of paying down debt and having reserves for my current properties instead of stretching myself thinner. And I just can't think of a better course of action for somebody to take if they don't have massive reserves than that, Scott. Yeah, I think you know that decision is appropriate in any economic environment, not just you know the fact that we're scared because of the coronavirus and whatever. You you should not be investing in real estate without reserves, right? Under under really any circumstances, right? The one exception that you might make is if someone is very young and getting started out, and it's going to delay their purchase of a house hack by months or years to build up those reserves. You know, and, and I, the only reason I would say that is because that's what I did. You know, I had twenty thousand dollars. I brought twelve thousand down to my property, and I might have dwindled my reserve to about five thousand at its low point an immediate aftermath fall on that property. And that's a risky position, but it's a risk I took because I thought it would help me build wealth that much faster and sooner. But there's really no circumstance where you should have no reserves when you're getting into this business. And you should be extremely uncomfortable if you do decide to take a calculated risk and not aggressively expand your portfolio until you have built that reserve position. So kudos to Christy and uh, certainly encourage everyone, regardless of the market, to invest from that position of strength. Yeah, I just can't say anything better to top that. I'm going to bring in Susan now. She said, you know, it is so tempting and easy to just roll together rental and W-2 income. And I'm glad that very early on, I set up separate bank accounts for my rentals. Also, I had been letting the money there accrue and I just hit $20,000, which I had determined to be a good number for reserves. I now have an even greater appreciation for the value of having an adequate reserve. Then she says something really, really important. You can estimate future repairs and CapEx all day, but a pandemic, where was that on the BP calculator? So uh, developers who are (laughs) listening, we need to add that in. Um, I'm not sure what sort of reserve percentage we should add for coronavirus pandemic preparations, but you know, she's right. You can estimate all day long, but emergency funds are for emergencies. And I think a pandemic qualifies. Absolutely. The point of the the reserve is to handle large capex or other operating issues in your business that you can't predict, right? You know, so you can't predict when the roof's going to go out and you're going to need to finance that repair and that could coincide with a with a credit crunch, right? Which is exactly what we're experiencing right now. It may be very hard to go out and get financing for that new roof or even find that 
the, the contractor to do it right now, right? And so your reserve is for exactly this moment in, in time. And I think that that's, that's the whole point of it. And then the, the bigger pockets calculator, right? It's just a calculator. You put numbers into it. But luckily, it encourages a lot of people to put in relatively conservative assumptions around their cash flow. And then, of course, you go even more conservative with their, the reserve is, is there to be even more conservative than those conservative cash flow assumptions you put in around the long term. So yep. great point, Susan. Yeah. And not every property makes a good rental. Not every property makes a good investment of any kind. So, you know, running them through the calculator with like super conservative estimates is really the best way to ensure that you're the best way to, let's see, I don't want to ensure future success. Well, What's the right I, word I'm looking and for? I would, say, I would say, to be fair, you know, none of us have really advocated putting in too conservative of assumptions into rental property. And there's a reality you have to make there, right? You can't, if you're, if you're underwriting so conservatively that you're accounting for apocalypse, right? Then you're going to be priced out of deals in most markets. And that's not a reasonable way to approach life either, right? But, you know, you, you do put in conserv, you put in higher vacancy than you, than you think will be the reality, current circumstances. You put in uh, higher capex and maintenance allocation than, than might be the, the reality. And you run your numbers based on that, but maybe not so so deep that you you know. There's no way to possibly account for, hey, the government might shut down <laughs> evictions and you might not get rent at all for a very long period of time. And by the way, that is a theme question that we need to address here uh, at some point, Mindy. I don't know if you want to do that next or downstream here, but that's that's a big one on investors' minds. We're going to tease you with that answer. <laughs> uh, we're going to answer a different question first because I thought that it would go in more of a flow. Another big, big question in that Facebook group is, should I buy this property? I am under contract and I'm not sure if I should go through with it or cancel. And I think this is a great question. And three weeks ago, the answer would have been very different than today. But Today is where we're talking. Another person asked, does it make a difference if it's a primary residence? So a few things you should consider in this, should I buy this property if I'm under contract? Right back up to the reserves. What do your reserves look like? If you're using absolutely every cent you have to buy this property, nope, you should not go through with you it. You shouldn't should have been cancel. buying the property in the first place. You should not have been buying the property in the first place, but you should definitely cancel the contract now. Even if you're going to lose your earnest money, even if it's going to be a financial hardship for you to lose your earnest money. And frankly, especially if it's going to be a financial hardship for you to lose your earnest money. What's your earnest money? $2,000, $5,000, $10,000? If you can't afford to lose that, what are you going to do when your tenants don't pay rent? How are you going to pay your mortgage when your tenants don't pay rent? And yes, there's eviction moratoriums and foreclosure moratoriums, but you are not putting yourself in a good financial position by buying a property you can't afford and digging yourself into a deeper debt hole. If you're not already bought if you haven't already bought that property and you can't afford it, you should not be buying it now. Yeah, so so you know, let's let's so if if you're not well capitalized, you shouldn't be buying property good, bad in different times. If you are well capitalized and you do have reserves, though you've got a reasonable question here and a lot of new investors I think are pretty scared about entering the real estate market right now. And, you know, I, I think that that's a fair point. And I don't, I didn't know the answer to this question. And I, and so I crowdsourced it. <laughs> I posted it to the bigger pockets forums and there's a lot of good discussion around there. And, you know, some of the, the more popular responses revolve around this theme of, Hey, you know, this is a, this can be a time of buying opportunity for a lot of folks who have a really good lockdown philosophical approach, who are doing this for the long term and are well capitalized. And if that's you, you may go full steam ahead. But the reality of the situation, I think, for most, aside from that small minority, is that 
if you're a newer investor buying your first or second or maybe even third property, that you're pretty scared right now. And, and you're, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And I think that's just going to limit the interest in general from a good number of newer investors. And, and that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, you got to be investing in this when you feel that it's a good move for your personal situation. And so I, I bet you that in reality, a lot of people are going to pause on their property searches, submit fewer offers, and you know, general a little bit less activity, especially from the newer folks buying their first home or first property. And I think that's just the reality you have to acknowledge in there. Whether we advise not to go forward or not, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue looking at properties and, and continue with my long-term real estate investing approach. And I wonder if I'll have a little bit more opportunity to find some cash flow or better appreciation, long-term prospects and less competition from other, other buyers in the near future while there's a lot of uncertainty. But I think that, that that's kind of the, the decision that you're going to have to make personally. And then to address the other part of this point, you know, if I'm already under contract, should I go through with it or cancel? Right. Well, again, that's that comes down to the earnest money thing. Most contracts do not have, or many contracts do not have a, you know, act of God situ clause in there that would account for circumstances like the coronavirus. Most many contracts currently going in are adapting rapidly. A lot of agents and lawyers have adapted rapidly. And you know, David Green had a great point on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast released this last Thursday. I think it's episode 374 about how agents in his town already have a clause in there that's extending the close period from 30 to 60 days, you know, making it contingent on certain financing things, ensuring that the appraisal comes in because the appraisal can certainly change over 60 days, you know, if market conditions do worsen. And so you can account for that uncertainty as you're going into contract. But if you're under contract, you need to abide by that contract or else for it risk forfeiting that earnest money. Yes, but just because you're forfeiting earnest money doesn't mean that's not the right choice it, for it you. It could be. Take a look at your financial situation and your financial outlook. What does your job look like? I have a pretty secure job, I like to think, right, Scott? I, I, I believe so, yes. <laughs> please, please don't leave us, I, Mindy. Yeah. I have a fairly secure job, but there are a lot of people who don't. So be honest with your own job prospects. Um, are you in a town that's, that's drying up? Are you in an area of the world where there's not a lot of job prospects? Who are your tenants going to be? You know, are you renting to, to students? Is this, there's a lot of factors that play into things. And just because you can get good financing and your W-2 job can cover, you know, the, the amount of your mortgage, if you're renting to students and they're going to close colleges for the next semester, maybe this isn't the best time to buy. So there's a lot of things that are going into play. You know what, Scott? I think I'm going to write an article about this. Yeah. yeah, I will write an article about this. I will post it on the Bigger Pockets blog and I will link to the show notes here once it comes out. And these show notes can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow117. But yeah, you know, does it make a difference if it's a personal residence? I think, again, it goes back to what are your job prospects? What is, you know, what does the market look like? What did your real estate market look like the last three to 52 weeks? In the last year, what did your, what did your real estate market look like? We're in Colorado. We've got a pretty hot market. There's low inventory from... 2008, when everybody stopped building, there's, uh, you know, we had a massive influx for a while. And I think we're now more of a balanced state, but there's a lot of demand for real estate in Colorado. And I think in, in our part of Colorado, and I think that will continue once the virus burns itself out. Is that the right phrase? 
Yeah. Once things blow over, maybe. Yeah. Once things blow over. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I think you need to look at a lot of different things. Oh my goodness. Should I cancel my contract? Well, take into account a lot of different factors, but yeah, you know what you, you uh, asked the question, what do I do if I already have properties and my tenants can't pay rent? We are actually going to throw this over to Brandon Turner because on episode 374 of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Investing Podcast, he answered this like the pro that he is. So um, Brandon, take it away. The government may step in at some point. I mean, if the government's going to make it so that tenants don't have to pay rent, my hope is that they'll step up and somehow help with the mortgage thing as well. Because not just for landlords, but for every homeowner in America, 20% of them who may be out of work, who aren't going to be, and what's the quote, like 40% of Americans don't have $400 in their checking account or something like that, or couldn't survive one paycheck. Like we are going to see that in two weeks. Like all of us who are landlords are going to see in two weeks from now, we will have tenants who are not working at this very moment right now and will not have rent two weeks from now. So I think the most important thing, and I'll, I'll go to you as well, Jay, I think the most important thing is to have a plan. If you're shooting by the seat of your pants when a tenant calls you and says, oh, I don't have rent money, and then you're trying to decide then what to do, that's always a scary position to be in. So like my wife and I have been actually, I mean, texting back and forth all day today and yesterday and like talking, obviously, but like, what is exactly our plan? Like, if this happens, then this, if this, then this. So for example, we are going to, first of all, tell tenants, uh, you know, rent is still due. That's our first, we're going to say rent is still due. Second thing we're going to say, if they just literally can't do it, because there's some people, who can you borrow it from? Uh, Third, here's some government aid. We're researching right now, government assistance programs in our various counties. Do some research. That is your job, landlord. Do some research. Find out what the government programs are helping your tenants, if there are any. And then four that we really, really can't. They does like there's no government, there's no family help. You know, we've really exhausted it. Then yeah, we're gonna work with our tenants and we have a plan in place for that. One thing I don't wanna do with my tenants is say, hey, let's just postpone your rent for a month and you can just pay two rents next time. That never works for tenants, right? If you let if you let a tenant get behind, they will never get caught up in that in that way. I've never seen it happen. Because like I should say a low income tenant, because it's not like they're suddenly gonna have more money in two months from now. So what we're gonna do is structure payment plans, which I generally never Never do, and I've always advised against payment plans. But in this case, we're going to do that. Hey, we'll spread out your payment over a 12 month period. And so your rent goes from 600 a month to 700 a month after this is over, but you can take two months off or whatever. So that's my advice is have a plan in place for what you're going to do because it's coming. Yeah. So, so I, I think Brandon absolutely nailed that when we were recording that episode of the podcast, which is why I, I asked them to kind of put that back in here as well. I don't think I can answer it any, any better. But one thing I do want to address here is this, this worry, I think, that it's seeping through the investor community, the landlord community about, is there a, a future on the horizon where HUD suspends evictions or evictions are, are suspended in your, your area? Tenants don't pay rent, and yet landlords are still on the hook for mortgage payments. Right. And and that's I think the apocalyptic scenario for a lot of people. Like if that happens, landlords are just gonna bleed again and again and again and again and again until even the ones those of us who are very well capitalized eventually run out. Right. That's the doomsday scenario that I think everyone's afraid of. And you know, look, while I get that that's a fear. Maybe maybe I'll look like a fool in, in three to six months. I just can't see that reality coming to pass in that doomsday scenario. I certainly see some tenants here and there acting poorly. We're already seeing a couple of horror stories in the forums. You know, there's one particularly bad story about a, a tenant that seems to be taking advantage of 
a landlord that's featured on our, our forums right now. And, and certainly some landlords are going to have experiences with tenants who take advantage of the situation, don't pay rent, and that, that can't be evicted, you know, for behavioral issues, those types of things. But I, I really don't, I really feel that if, if in, in, in a more likely scenario is that if evictions and rental payments stop for whatever reason, that there will be a similar deferment on mortgages, uh, mortgage payments, those types of uh, fixed overhead that would really cripple landlords in those types of scenarios. So personally, I'm, you know, we got to watch and see and wait. But really, I think that there's a much higher probability of a reality coming to pass where either things are fairly normal or everybody is out of those fixed payments for a period of time, which obviously disrupts landlords' passive income, but doesn't require them to pay the mortgage and not receive rent for a prolonged period of time. So I get that that's a doomsday scenario, but, but I wonder if that's really a likely possibility going forward. Uh, that would kind of do some serious existential damage to the real estate economy and change the game for the worse for the long term for a lot of people. You know, you're not going to rent to certain types of tenants anymore if that happens. And I think there's going to be a lot of problems that the government will have to figure out in the aftermath of a situation like that. So again, who can predict the future? But but I really I really see... I really think that that's a fear that we can kind of put put in the pocket as a very low probability outcome. Yeah, you know, if you look at the government itself, the you know the members of Congress, uh, even the president, there are people. These are people who invest in real estate. They understand the real estate investor mind. I would think at least a majority or enough of them would bring it to the attention that it would it would be. Like they wouldn't do one without the other. Again, Scott and I could look completely foolish for saying this, but I don't think so. Yeah, but certainly hear that as a major fear right now. And, 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 and you know, I can't blame people for, for worrying about that. All right, what's the next question, Mindy? Okay, people want to know how they can take advantage of the current situation. Stocks have fallen, uh, what is it, 25 to 35%-ish, depending on, I mean, I don't know what it closed at today, but... You know, if you have extra cash lying around and a reserve fund, you may be able to take advantage of these low, low prices. The stocks are on sale. Everybody's saying that. But, you know, what do you, what do you think, Scott? How, do you, how does somebody take advantage of this without being too fearful? Look, I, I think if you've been listening to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast or been in a in the fire community for a long time, right? You've probably been spending less than you've earned, than you earn. You've probably paid off a lot of your bad debt. Uh, you've probably built up an emergency reserve. You've probably been investing, right? So if you're someone who has assets, right? Like for example, I lost a hundred grand in the last what thirty days, right? That's a good problem. I'm privileged to be in that position of losing a hundred grand in the market, right? That's because I'm well off. And, and well capitalized, right? So, you know, when you think about who's going to get hurt in this economy, right? The person getting hurt the worst is your hourly restaurant or service or retail sector employee, right? Who's not having any income. And maybe, maybe that, that person still has rent due. And if they don't pay rent, maybe they can't get evicted, but they still got to pay the utility bill. They still got to buy food, right? Those types of things, right? You know, if uh, most of most of our listeners, not not everybody, but many many of our listeners still are retaining jobs, they're able to work remote or from home, right? So, if you're in that position and you're still able to earn an income, um, or even just as as much or very close to the amount of income you were earning before all this happened, and maintain that, you have a reserve, you have investments. I think you're going to be in a position of relative strength going through this. I think you're going to be able to continue to save, take advantage of economic opportunities, and find yourself in a really strong position on the other side of it. 
So I, I think that basically everyone who's part of the fire community has been naturally preparing reasonably aggressively for this type of circumstance and is going to find a lot of opportunity in different areas as they fight to maintain their, you know, because you're, everyone's fighting for whatever jobs become available. You know, there's going to be subsidies from the government. It looks like they're getting closer and closer to passing a bill where every American's going to get $1,000, every child's going to get 500 or the families are going to get 500 per child. You know, those are not discriminating based on income, right? Government, you know, there's as part of that package, the most recent one, we'll see if this one passes. As part of that, there's a $300 billion stimulus package to help companies make payroll, right? So if you're earning an income, you, you may get both a, a government subsidy in cash and the government may subsidize your business, to uh, your, your employer to help pay that stuff. So, you know, who's, who's going to come out of this advantage? It's the conservative person who works hard, has the highest probability of, of keeping their job and continuing along with those things. And, and, you know, look, everybody else is even worse off and the government's going to have to address that at some point. So, so I wonder if there's going to be a lot of investing opportunities and, and career opportunities for, for those who do put in the work the hustle, are well-capitalized, have good credit, and maintain that position throughout this. I have nothing to add. I'm going to pull a Charlie Munger here and say, I have nothing to add. (laughs) Fair Uh, enough. (laughs) But no, I I know that you have done more research on that than I have. And that's, I mean, I can't disagree with you. I really can't see how, you know, you you don't want to talk government bailouts. You don't want to be reliant on that. But I can't see how something this big can't be addressed very swiftly. Okay. If you are still in the process of paying off debt, do you pay the debt or buy more market shares? And I think this kind of goes back to, you've sort of already answered this. Um, Well, 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 I actually do have some thoughts on that, but do you want to go, do you want to chime in first? Yeah. You know, I actually would throw in a third option. Do you pay off the debt? Do you buy more market shares or do you stop making payments on the debt currently. And frankly, I would, you know, again, it all depends on your circumstances, but if it's a significant amount of debt, if you're not going to be paying enough anytime soon, if you've got maybe some uncertainty in your job, I certainly wouldn't be buying more market shares right now. I would be maybe even holding off on paying off the debt. If it's only those two options, continuing paying off the debt or buy more market shares, again, how much debt do you have? What's your income? What does your job prospects look like? And, you know, maybe 50-50 it. Pay off the debt, a little, pay down some debt and buy more market shares. I mean, these market shares are, they were at, three weeks ago, they were valuable to me. They're even more valuable now because they're priced lower. I wish I had more money to throw at them. I have a real estate closing at the end of the month. I'm hoping to throw all of that into the market. But I also don't have any debt. Yeah. Here's, here's how I think about debt. In general, if I have debt financed at an interest rate of zero to 4%, right? I'm a reasonably ambitious investor. And I believe that long term, investing in most of the alternatives that I would conceive of investing in is going to generate me a, a risk adjusted return that is much higher than 4%. So I do not make prepayments or aggressively pay down anything beyond the minimum required payment on debts financed at zero to 4%. If I have a debt financed that that is has an interest rate at, at seven or more percent, right? That's a very high interest rate, and if I pay down that debt, I'm getting a very high guaranteed return, right? It, it, and so I would pay down that debt right away if I had that kind of debt. 
at that level. I'd also pay down any bad debts that were coming in at those types of rates. Go ahead, Mindy. Can you explain how you're getting a good, a guaranteed return? Because that phrase may be confusing. The, the interest rate on my debt, you know, I know that I know that I'm accruing interest at a rate of seven or more. Per, let's say I have an interest rate at 10%, right? $100,000 at 10%. I know I'm accruing $10,000 a year in interest on that loan, right? So if I pay down that loan, I'm generating a $10,000 a year profit or, or I'm, I'm avoiding having the payment of $10,000 in interest. So I'm getting a 10% return for every dollar of principal I pay down the earlier I pay it down. Okay. Right? So that, that's how, how I think about that. And you know, that that's a truth that we've all held to be true, I guess, or, or stable in any market condition, except for the possibility of today where they're taking there there's talk about the extraordinary measure of potentially deferring payments. I don't think it's wise to plan on that. That may happen though. Um, and that may be the first time in history where that where you, you don't have these interest payments come due, <laughs> uh, and you're not accruing the debt. You're you're effectively your interest rate is dropping dramatically if we do in fact begin allowing people to defer payments, right, and not accrue interest. That, now all that's up in the air and stuff that's going to evolve. Maybe even over the coming days between now and the release of this podcast, releasing Friday, we'll launch Monday. But anyways, so if I got seven or more percent interest, I'm paying it down. If I've got zero to four percent interest, I'm not paying it down aggressively. If I'm in that bubble, five, six, you know, four and a half, five, six ish, maybe even that seven range, just all gray areas that are kind of exhibiting between these three interest rate zones, if you will, right? That's where you have a hard decision. There's no right answer there. Should I pay off that debt early or should I invest? You know, maybe, maybe the market dropping recently shifts in the minds for some people that have that four, five, six percent interest rate debt to maybe make the minimum payments on that debt and begin investing or stockpiling cash instead, because those might give a higher risk-adjusted return in their minds. But that's, I think, the way the dynamic should be thought about for people thinking about whether they should begin continue paying down their debt or invest in alternative assets. Okay. Let's go back to real estate for a little bit because we are bigger pockets money, but bigger pockets. What about short-term rentals? Airbnb came out and said, because of this unprecedented situation, we are going to allow anybody to cancel their reservation. And I can't remember the exact dates, but if it was made, the reservation was made up to like March 13th or 14th, they were allowing you to cancel regardless of the host's cancellation policy. And it is, I, I completely get where they're coming from. I can see the side. I have an Airbnb rental reservation that I'm, you know, it's in June. What am I going to do about it? I don't know. I've, I'm just holding off right now. But there are people who are traveling this weekend. They canceled. They got all their money back. The hosts are left holding the bag. And this is extremely unfortunate for the hosts. And I wish that Airbnb would have handled it a little differently. I wish that they would have given a heads up to the hosts. I don't think they have any other option than to allow guests to cancel with a full refund. I mean, I can't think of another, they'll go out of business if they don't have guests. They'll go out of business if they don't have hosts. It seems like the hosts are bearing the brunt of this uh, well, policy. You know, when I, I canceled a trip too, I was going to go to Grand Cayman for a vacation with Virginia. 
right? And we canceled. And I split the the fee, the booking fee with the host. This is before Airbnb announced their policy. I thought that was the appropriate way to handle things, frankly, right? It's unfortunate. I got to cancel my trip. I didn't want to cancel my trip. And the host doesn't get that revenue anymore, right? You know, and they still got to pay their mortgage. So I, I thought it was appropriate to split that between the two. And that's what I'd do if I were king for a day. But Airbnb has gone a different route, of course, which you know, Airbnb hosts have to cope with. And if you are in the short-term rental game, right? I, I'm not in the short-term rental game. If I was going to get in the short-term rental game, and I've been saying this for years, I underwrite the property to long-term rents and make sure that I can profit if I'm going to make long-term rents. I do not underwrite depending on the short-term Airbnb income. Right, the Airbnb income is a nice boost to an already profitable investment, not the dependency. And the reason for that was not because I predicted a coronavirus-induced recession, but because the law is not on your side in most jurisdictions around Airbnb income. Right in Denver, you can't rent out your properties in Airbnb. A lot of people do; they buy a house, they build an ADU, and they rent that out because that's in compliance with the law. But the trend of the law is to move away from that. Homeowners and neighborhoods do not like Airbnb tenants. They're noisy. They're problematic, right? And the trend of the law in many jurisdictions has been to make it harder and harder for hosts to profit from Airbnb. And you know this as a short-term host. And so what should be happening here is you should have a backup plan. And when you don't, you know, when you, you get more cash flow from Airbnb than you do traditional rent, that's why you do it. If you didn't do it, you'd have a tenant that you didn't have to clean up after every weekend. Right. And you also know that this business is seasonal, right? So an Airbnb operator should have an even bigger reserve than a rental property operator to account for the fluctuations and the seasonality of their business. And then, of course, be ready to revert that property back to a long term rental if needed. So th- 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 I think those are the ways to think about the Airbnb environment. I completely agree. The laws are so ever changing. Um, mm-hmm. Episode 364 of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Investing Podcast featured Avery Carl, and she is a short-term rental expert. She lives and works, invests in the uh, Smoky Mountains, the Gatlinburg, Tennessee area, where, and one of the best, that was a really great episode. If you're listening, if you're thinking about getting into short-term rentals, if you are in short-term rentals, you need to listen to that episode. She has a lot of great tips. But one of the tips she has for people who are looking to get into it is, Go where they already have the laws. Gatlinburg is a tourist town. There's like nine regular residents and 50 million touristy residents that come in and they have their laws ironed out. They're not going to change their Airbnb laws because those laws are beneficial to the city, to the you know, the neighborhoods and everybody just understands that. So when you're in a big city like this, they're they're kind of changing rather quickly. And I completely agree. You need to underwrite the the potential property as a long-term rental. Now that's not super helpful to somebody who jumped in and then lost all their income. Like Scott said, you need to have an even larger reserve for when you're doing these these short-term riskier rentals. Yeah, you know, I think I think that this the the tough thing here is I I don't know what the answer is for somebody who just bought a property with no reserves, that cash flow is at 
a hundred bucks a month, but doesn't really cash flow because they didn't take into account for vacancy and capex and opera and, and maintenance. I don't have the answer for somebody who's got an Airbnb that can't rent it out to a long-term tenant and has all their income dried up and still has a mortgage payment and has little reserves, right? There is no good answer to that. The answer to that is you listen to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, <laughs> you spend less than you earn, you build a financial foundation that's capable of investing in these items from a position of financial strength, and you invest in a sustainable long-term strategy, right? And the vast, vast majority of listeners and people who have reached out are doing exactly that. If you're finding yourself in over your skis and about to lose a lot of income and don't have the reserves to do it, then you need to do whatever you possibly can right now Start working overtime, start finding a side hustle, deliver food for Uber Eats, whatever it is, and build up your position, stop your expenses, and understand that you are screwed if you are not well capitalized right now. Because this is this is the reality that we plan for as, as long-term investors. We know we're going to hit a recessionary environment or a drop in stock market prices or whatever every couple of years. The only thing unusual about the last 10 years is that we it was 10 years you know, 12 years between the last big drop and today. You know, I kind of do have an answer, Scott, and it might not be the answer that people want to hear. But if you are, to use your term, in over your skis and there's no good prospects out there, you don't have a reserve fund, you don't have tenants, you don't have the ability to start generating income with this property, maybe you need to put it right back on the market. Maybe you need to bite the bullet and lose the real estate commission that you would have otherwise not paid um, and just get it sold, get it out of your debt collecting side of your balance sheet. What's that called? The negatives on your balance sheet. You know, if you didn't buy from a good position, maybe right now isn't the best time to be holding real estate. And I love real estate. I work at Bigger Pockets. I talk about real estate all day long. It hurts me to suggest that you sell your property, but this is a different time than it was even two weeks ago, maybe when you bought it. And that leads me to the next question. I closed on a rental property on February 29th. I got a great deal and rate. I found a tenant before closing, but I didn't sign a lease contract. The property needs repairs. If no virus, I would have had the property ready and rented by April 1, but now all of my vendors have canceled. I have no suppliers for materials. I listed it for rent in case I can rent it as is. How do I mitigate the losses? I'm going to say rent it as is. I mean, if it's, I'm assuming that it's habitable. If it's not habitable, you can't rent it. That's the end of that. I actually had a direct discussion with this individual about oh. this in, in writing the other day. And there was some really good, this is a really good point. This person was well capitalized and was investing from position of strength and is now trying to find a way to mitigate their their losses there, right? And th- there's a couple of different ways to think about this. If you if you try to keep dropping the, the rents for a long-term lease, then you risk going too low and getting less rent than you, than market over a 12-month period. Right. If you try to keep the rents at the same high price, you know that you tra- that you originally thought you could get a few weeks ago. In the short term, you may get no rent. Right. So you know there's a couple of creative solutions that might apply to this situation. And the, the only issue is that we're inventors here rather than followers. You don't want it is never good to be an inventor in, in this type of scenario. But you know a couple of the solutions were one was go to month go month to month go to lower rate month to month 
you know, have an intro low rate and then say, hey, I plan to raise the market rent from here to here over time, um, but this will be a lower risk way for you for the next two or three months. And then we can raise the rent and agree to a longer term lease over time as we see what market rents settle back into. That's a really, I think, creative way to offset some of that risk in the short term for this fellow while also giving him a chance to get that, a fair market rent at the end of the day. Good deal for the tenant in the short run as well. So I think that was, I guess that was the that was the kind of solution that we settled on in that discussion. I think that was a it was a interesting, interesting approach and really good on him to think of that. Yes, and this was actually, I think, <laughs> I think you were having a conversation with the guy who responded, but this was actually a woman who had asked that question, oh. um, and then another guy <laughs> said, "I have a similar spot, but you know, I'm in a similar spot." Um, Maybe I got the almost the exact same uh, question for somebody else. Then, <laughs> well, you know what? It's not a unique position to be in. Yeah. Right now is the very start of the spring selling market. It's, what mm-hmm. is it, March 20th uh, when we're recording this. March is kind of the, the beginning of the spring selling market. So maybe you went under contract in January or February. You just closed and then the market fell out from underneath you. Again, it goes back to the very beginning. You need to have good reserves. What do you do if you don't have good reserves? Can you get some reserves? I mean, having a little bit of income and a month-to-month tenancy can be really beneficial to both of you because the tenant isn't locked in. What if they lose their job? They can cancel the the contract and go live with their mom. Well, let me let me tell you this on the reserves front, right? Suppose I got a property that's worth uh, three hundred grand and I got a mortgage to two hundred, right? I would rather have a mortgage right now of two thirty. I'd rather refinance, pull thirty thousand dollars in cash out, and have that sitting in the bank, than have no cash in the bank. And have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. So you know, if you if you're taking out a little bit more debt to have a little bit more reserves right now, that's something that Jay Scott recommends and that I agree with in kind of recession proofing your portfolio. Much better to have liquidity, even if that comes at the cost of a little bit of increase in your debt, than to be without uh, liquidity and have less debt. I think. Yep, I agree. And that's just general in every market condition, right? You pay the cost of that of holding cash at every moment in a growth market and you don't get the benefit of the, the, the return on that on that reserve until today or until the recessionary environment if we if we do go into recession although it seems ever more increasingly likely that we are that we are here and that that's that's the environment we got to adapt to you know it i don't think it makes much sense to ignore the big r word we are definitely going into a bit of a recession if not a longer term recession We had Jay Scott on episode 70, where he talked about his recession-proof investing book. Um, This is an ebook that's available at biggerpockets.com slash store. And it is a book that gives you tips for maximizing your investments during a recession. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate 
in investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, another question that we had was, how about doing a financial reset episode? Everyone is getting hit in this time of crisis. It would be good to take a step back and evaluate. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, when, when I think about a financial reset, right, I think the same, the exact same things you do to go all out in pursuit of financial independence are exactly the same things you should be doing in the times of a recession <laughs> to prepare and get, have as little stress as possible, right? So when I, when I think about a financial reset, 
I think, great. Very first step is I'm going to track my spending. Uh, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to think about, hey, most people have the big three expenses. Where, where am I, where's my money going? And what are the biggest items in my budget? Right? And for most people, that's going to be housing, transportation, and food. Right? And then how do I begin immediately reducing my household spending? Because spending is what's going to kill you in the times where you dry up with your income or have other, other problems. Right? The less you spend, the more cash you can accumulate. And the less cash you need, the less liquidity you need on a month-to-month basis to maintain your financial position. Right? So if I spend $2,000 a month, I need $25,000 in the bank to sustain my lifestyle for a year. If I spend $5,000 a month, I need $60,000 to, to sustain my position for a year, right? So it both increases my savings rate and it increases my, the, the, the amount, of, the, the length, the financial runway, I like to call it, that a, a dollar has for you, right? So the first step is you track your spending and you think about those big three expenses. Obviously, you can't change your lease or your car payment right away, right? Those are difficult things to, to maneuver. Right, but you can take advantage, take control of your food situation right now, and this is a perfect time to reassess what you eat, how you eat. Right, you go to the grocery store; there is nothing left except the healthy food. <laughs> it's it's remarkable, right? I went there the other day, and I was like, only the things I want to buy are for sale. <laughs> it was it was amazing, right? There's no white rice. Yeah, all right, great. Now you can buy the quinoa. I don't love quinoa. I actually hate quinoa. But you can buy brown rice, right? Or whatever, right? Steel cut oats. Plenty of, plenty of steel cut oats, right? No, no Oreos. No Oreos for sale. So anyways, this is a great time to do a hard food reset on your budget. Buy healthy food from the grocery store and make it yourself at home. You're already at home. Get that habit in place. Will never be a better time. Do not allow yourself to fall into a terrible habit of snacking all day at home which I know some people are already falling into. Do not allow that to happen. Oh my God. Don't let your kids do it either. My kids, every morning, they've been off school for a week. Every morning they get up and they're like, mom, I'm starving. You're not starving, you're bored. Go for a walk. Go outside, go play in the backyard, go do something. And if you are quarantining yourself, maybe that something is going for a walk by yourself. Maybe that something is going for a bike ride by yourself. Maybe you just had a blizzard like we did yesterday on the very first day of spring. You can shovel the snow by yourself. Shovel the snow. Shovel your neighbor's snow. Come shovel my snow. Shovel the street. They don't plow here in Colorado. So there are lots of things you can be doing that don't require you to be eating to do it, that don't require you to be you know, in a crowd doing it and still get your mind off of whatever it is you're doing. I mean, it's so easy to just eat mindlessly. I'm sitting here <laughs> during this recording. I'm, you know, kind of having my lunch too, but it's so easy to eat mindlessly. It's so easy to just grab one thing or just grab two things and don't. There's nothing, there's nothing left at the grocery store, so I got carrots and hummus. That's what I've been snacking on today, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyways, so, so you, you've got your food, right? You know, next up's going to be the car payment. Now, you're naturally probably not going to buy a new car this year. It's time to either sell the car, think about think about selling it. Don't take out a new debt to buy a finance a new car for sure. Because your car is, if you have a new car right now, it is sitting there, you're paying financing on it and it is depreciating in value very rapidly. And you don't even get to use it to commute to work anymore because you're probably in social distancing and working from home, 
right? So it's just another example of why that transportation expense can eat you alive. And there's no reason to do anything else than get a, a cheap economy car or a safe family vehicle if you do have a family and want to prioritize that. There's a lot of safe, affordable options out there, right? So, and then the third thing is housing. Right, And there's not much you can do about housing in the next month or two. But over time, the economy has to open up somewhat. We can't just sit in our homes indefinitely without making any changes. Right, And when that comes, your choice is, do you renew your lease or do you, continue, do you buy a new big fancy house or do you buy something that's well within your means? And when you have control of those big three expenses, when you have a uh, you're tracking your spending, Right when you're just adopting naturally frugal outcomes that prioritize your financial well-being in the context of your happiness, you know I think you'll find that your happiness is not going to change whatsoever, but a magical thing is going to occur in your bank account where you're going to start accumulating a much larger surplus. Right, and this you've heard this a million times in the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Right, how many guests have said the same things that we're just talking about right now? A hundred percent of them. Hundred percent of them. Right. So you're going to start accumulating a surplus. What you do with that surplus then? You know, that's where decision-making becomes a little bit more tricky. We talked about how to think about your debt payment earlier in this episode. But, you know, it's maintain your credit, build up a reserve that's appropriate, pay off your bad debts, and then build up that financial runway, and then invest appropriately for the long term from a position of financial strength. And that's, that's, I think, what he means by a financial reset, right? Don't allow your financial reset to be... I'm going to do a lot of shopping on Amazon and a lot of snacking on Oreos uh, as I stock up on a massive amount of junk food from the grocery store. Make your reset one that is really healthy overall, gets you into new habits in your new housing housing and, and lifestyle situation that you're adapting to, and scale it from there. I'm going to add to that just a little bit, Scott. You were talking about having a lease. You didn't talk about somebody who has a house already. If you have extra space in your house and you have uh, low cash flow, consider renting out a room to somebody that you know, somebody that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are not able to make their huge rent payment, maybe they can make half of their rent payment, you could rent out a room in your house and get a, generate a little bit of income and help out a friend. House hack. House That's hack. That's right. Oh yeah. Hey, do we have a book about that, Scott? Mm-hmm. We do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, this is the time to you know dig up all those posts from Mr. Money Mustache. I know he's been less active than usual in the last year or two, but you know, the, the godfather of of, uh, of financial independence. I don't know if that's too too uh, high and mighty a title for him, but you know, really, like you know, this is a good time to dig out his blog and go back to that. And you know, a lot of people in the boom, I think, have been moving away from. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> my husband uh, is reading The Godfather right now. Yeah. That's funny that you said that. <laughs> but you know, Mister Money Mustache like wrote about all of this. Yeah, eight years ago, right? I, I I talked about blog the other day, and that was from 2012. It was the simple, the four percent rule, the easy answer to how much you need for early retirement. And recently, I've seen some stuff saying, "Oh, I used to be fi, and I'm no longer fi because I had 25 times my spending uh, and could spend in the four percent rule." Um, and it's like, no, dude, the four percent rule. The reason you built up to 25 times your spending was because the 4% rule takes into account exactly what is happening today with the market circumstances. Once you dip, you know, you start with you start with 25 times your spending and the market plunges 30%. Well, that's why you did the 4% rule and not the 7% rule. You're still fine, right? If if you start if if you if you retired in February 29th, 2020, 
with 25 times your spending. And the market just tanked 30%. The 4% rule takes that scenario into account. That's the most, that's what it is. Yes, I want to invite people to read the 4% rule article that was in Life Magazine from, it's about William Bengen and how he took all of the different markets and all the different scenarios into account to come up with the 4% rule. He didn't think to himself, you know what? I'm going to call it the 4% rule. Now let me go figure out how to make that a reality. He did all the math and he said, you know what? If you take 4% and adjust, you, know, you withdraw 4% and adjust for inflation, and he says it better than I do, you will have enough money for 30 years at the at, uh, 96% chance of having having enough money still at the end of 30 years. And when you look at his projections, if you take out 3.5%, you have a 100% chance of having money at the end of 30 years. And in many cases, you start off with X and you have like 2X or 5X after 30 years, after pulling out the money every single time. It's an amazingly powerful study. We will link to it in the show notes here. It's just... You know, math and that doesn't, doesn't include lie. a cash position. That doesn't include a cash position. Remember when we interviewed uh, uh, Christy and Bryce? What is their website? Revolution Millennial, Millennial Revolution. Revolution. Is that Millennial Revolution? They were episode 55 and episode 55.5. They were our first repeat guests because they so casually mentioned that they were able to test their their market for three years or their plan for three years before they put it into into play. Um, but anyway, both episodes are fantastic. They talked about not only do we have our uh, financial or our uh, retirement, we also have cash. And I think they have two years of cash. And we also have a yield shield. And I can't really remember what that entailed, but I know it was really good. So listen to the episode. <laughs> but they had a lot of different options. They didn't just say, well, I know I'm going to need 4% and that's all I'm going to do. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to build in extra confidence in your plan, but it all starts with being fairly conservative in your spending. Love it. Well, there's another question I want to I want to transition to here, which is how to manage your rentals during the, the these times, right? And and you know, we've we've harped on the importance of reserves. And writing with conservative numbers for a long time. So let's let's talk about some practical things that a landlord can do in these times. Okay. What do you think? Well, step number one is to get a really good tenant. When you rent to somebody who has a very low credit score for reasons outside of, you know, crazy medical bills or something like that, if they just have a low credit score, they're telling you in advance, I don't really care about paying about my bills on time. Don't rent to people who don't care about their credit score. Don't rent to people who don't care about paying their bills on time. My credit score, I'm super proud of. I have an 800 plus credit score. I am not going to do anything to jeopardize that. I am going to do everything I can to keep it high. And that means I pay my bills on time. That means I pay them off. That means I am, I'm not late. I'm not, uh, what is it, delinquent. I care about it and I want to keep that going. Yes, yeah, so I, I love that. I think, you know, tenant screening 
you know, is a, is a key thing here. The folks with good credit are not going to want to wreck their credit. The folks with bad credit, they're going to be the ones who are going to be the first ones to screw over landlords and take advantage of this no eviction uh, situation because they didn't care about the, their credit and they have bad credit already. But, you know, as a landlord, you know, just because they're putting a moratorium on evictions, most people are not going to run a ruin a lifetime of good credit by stealing money from you and not paying rent. Only the people with the bad credit are going to want to do that, right? So you're giving those people a tremendous amount of power. And if you're in that situation, you don't have to weather the storm for it temporarily. What are some practical things you can do there? You can consider cash for keys, right? This is where you pay your tenant their security deposit or straight up cash in order to leave your property so that you can begin the remodeling process and, and move on. I've used this before. It enables you to get a bad tenant out, typically with a reasonably clean unit and begin getting to work on construction uh, immediately. I want to say that while I completely understand why somebody would want to do this, I also understand the flip side of somebody saying, but I don't want to reward them for their bad behavior. And look, I mm-hmm. am—I I can be kind of, is vindictive really the right word? I do not want to reward you for your bad behavior. And I want to punish you if you messed with me. But when I want to kick out Scott from my unit because he hasn't been paying me, I can be really nasty about it. And Scott could be really nasty back. He could give me a property that has a lot of damage. He could give me a property that has a a significant damage. I've seen a lot of some, a lot of these damaged properties and it just breaks my heart that these, these landlords are having to deal with this. On the other hand, if I tell Scott, look, I know you can't pay your rent. I'm sorry that you can't pay your rent. Let me help you get into a new property that has a lower rent maybe or whatever. Let me help you do this. Here's some money. In exchange for this money, I want you to leave the property you know, in good condition. This encourages Scott to not play hammer darts in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. This encourages him not to flush things down the toilet that don't belong there. Um and it it encourages him not to leave the place filled with animal feces like the people across the street from me the other week. Yeah. And, and you know, here's how, here's how I would think about handling a situation with a tenant who who wasn't paying rent, and I thought was going to play darts with my my kitchen if if uh, I started threatening. I'd say, you know, I'd say, look, I, I would potentially go with cash for keys, right? Because because this is so uncertain, I would want to get them out and begin work finding a new tenant as quickly as possible. Right, because I know they're causing problem and not going to pay me. Right, I, I'd say, look, I'd like to give you five hundred dollars and and help you move out of the property, and I'll give you five hundred dollars in cash if you are out of this property and it is clean by the end of the week, or a thousand, or whatever it is that I think is appropriate given the context of rents in my market or whatever. Right? And and I'd also say very politely but firmly, you know, you're not paying rent, and while I understand there's a moratorium on evictions, when this is over. I'm going to need to sue you for that rent and take you to court for that and, and and continue with the eviction process. And that will ruin your credit and may make it very difficult for you to find a place in the future. Right. So there's a carrot and stick incentive here to, to kind of show, hey, you know, maybe I don't have power temporarily to, to follow through on the eviction process right now, but that will change downstream. And this is not playtime and get away without paying rent indefinitely for you. Uh, and if you do, you know, then, then I'm not going to pay you to leave the property. I'm going to bring the full weight of the law down there, wreck your credit, and evict you and sue you for those damages and take out as many liens as I can against you because that's the law and you, this is the agreement that you signed. Right? So it's, it's kind of 
as tactfully as possible, communicating that carrot and stick message, I think, is a, is a practical way to to go about this. Um, in the you know, I would also maybe consult your property manager or lawyer before you go and uh, and take any specific action. But that, that's the way, as a businessman, I would begin framing my thought process and and trying to work with my tenants. Now. The, the next thing here is, let's say I have a vacancy that we just discussed. We, we already discussed some of that. you know, Or I'm an Airbnb host, and that's the only way I'm going to make income, right? Well, now I have to think about things not in the context of how do I attain my numbers that I initially forecast, but how do I get some money, right? Because every month that you receive no income, you're, you're paying the whole mortgage, Right? So let's say your mortgage is $2,000. Well, I'd rather have $800 in revenue to offset that mortgage than $0. Right? So you begin to say, not what, is, what was I projecting, but what is the current reality and how do I manage to that? And how do I accept that and send my losses and keep things going there? And maybe you have to bring some cash to the table uh, in the interim in order to weather the storm. But the way you lose big from this recession is, or if it is a recession, <laughs> is, is you, you, if you lose your property, destroy your credit and get foreclosed on or can't hold on to your property. The way you win is by building an effective reputation, maintaining a reasonably well-capitalized position, and buying more property at great prices with partnerships, with access to financing. You can't do that if you have no cash, if you have no credit, and you have no reputation because you've lost your, your property and, and haven't been able to manage through this. You know, you bring up a really good point there, Scott, with partners. Ashley Kerr is the host of the new Real Estate Rookie podcast, uh, along with Felipe Mejia. She was our guest on a couple of weeks ago on episode 114, and she built her empire through partnerships. You don't necessarily have to have money to invest in real estate. You need to have a partner who has money. There needs to be money available to you to successfully invest in real estate. And if you find a really great deal, there are still people out there who have money who would love to partner with you. Yeah, I'll just wrap up here with your real estate investing strategy, in my opinion, needs to win under three market conditions. You got to be able to win if the market goes up. And the only way you win if the market goes up is if you are invested in real estate. If you're not invested in real estate, you don't benefit from rent depreciation or price depreciation. Right? You have to win if the market stays flat for a long period of time. And you win by that because you're paying down your mortgage and your cash flow. Right? That growth is obviously accelerated in up market. Right? But you win, and then you have to win in a down market. And how do you win in a down market? Well, you have access to cash, good credit, and a great reputation so that you can buy more deals at a better price in the down market. Right? And so that's, that's the approach that your investing philosophy has to be in there. Consistent but not aggressive. And you can't build a reputation. You know, don't feel bad if you're an investor who's bought property the last couple of years. As you manage through this, I'm not, invest, I'm not giving my money to a newbie to invest as a partner with who has never bought real estate before and is getting started now. I'm going to give my money if I partner with somebody to somebody who has properties and is managing them professionally and appropriately and making the best of the situation and is ready and has a good business plan prepared to go and move forward and buy more at great prices with great cash flow. Right? That's how you win in all three market conditions. 
Yep. And you're not alone, Scott. There are a lot of people just like you that have the money. They don't have the time. They don't have the interest. They don't have the energy. They want to partner with you. Keeping an eye on the market right now, finding great deals and bringing them to people who have money to partner with is a great way to get into the market. What is What does Brandon say? 50% of a deal is better than 0% of a deal? Yeah, 50% of a great deal is better than 100% of no deal. Yes, that's it. That's it. (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) That's a great quote. Okay, so Brandon touched a little bit on this, how to deal with your current tenants that are not not able to pay the rent or not able to pay all of the rent. But I think that you should be a resource to your tenants. Just Mm -hmm. because you are the landlord doesn't mean you have to have a contentious relationship with your tenants, especially if you have a long-term tenant who has been consistently paying you rent. They're a great tenant otherwise, and they have fallen on hard times. Jacob from iHeartBudgets was a guest on our episode 85, and he compiled a list of resources for those financially affected by the coronavirus. Among them are bank and credit assistance, student loan and mortgage relief, places to pick up lunches for your kids, and even help with utilities and taxes. He also goes into detail about the Family's First Coronavirus Response Act, which was passed on Wednesday, two days ago, which gives guidance on paid sick leave, food assistance, and medical testing. And finally, at the bottom of his post, he links to many other financial bloggers' articles about additional resources, financial hardship, mental wellness, which is something that you really need to be paying attention to right now, especially when you're you know, is self-quarantining. There's more and more, what's it called? Stay in place, self-quarantine in place. They have a term. I can't remember what that's called. Uh, But mental wellness is something you should really be considering right now. Uh, Money management, making additional money and activities for kids when you're stuck at home. So we are going to link to it in the show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow117. But his website is iheartbudgets.net slash COVID-19 financial dash resources. And it's a really great list. And he said that he's going to continue to update it as he gets more information. And as you know, this is a developing story. This is a, you know, it's a fluid conversation. So he's going to continue to update that as he gets more information. Um, yeah, it's and a great those, resource. And that'll be really, in the show notes, right? Yeah, it's it'll be in the show notes, uh, in our show notes, but you can also get to it with that, that link that I just gave. Along those same lines, Frugal Confessions also has a really great article with more than 197 emergency financial assistance resources, both national and by major city. Um, Mrs. Daku Studio has a list of 50 immediate higher work from home jobs. And they, I have not vetted every single one of them, but they look to be pretty legit. The list is divided into two sections, companies hiring now and companies who are always hiring for work from home positions. All three of those links will be in our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow117. But if your tenant just lost their job, send them to that list. Maybe there's something on there that'll make them you know, even more money than they were making before. Maybe there's something that they can start generating a little bit of income. By working with your tenants, you're showing them that you're human. You understand that this is, I mean, we're in uncharted territories right now. This is, have, I can't remember a pandemic. That's right. You know, and, and personally, I have, I have talked with my property manager. I'm willing to work with my tenants to subsidize 
or defer or figure out options for those of the, those tenants that have great credit that have been long-term tenants and been doing a good job with this. I'm willing to work with them and make sure, you know, cause that that's, that's the right thing to do. Point them in the direction of these types of resources and try to get them all the help that they can. And again, and again, do my part as a landlord to help, to help see them through this, this crisis, because that's good morals and good business. Right. Right. And if you are a, t- a, tenant and you're having problems, you're, you think you're going to have problems with your rent, talk to your landlord now. Start mm-hmm. looking for other ways to generate income, but talk to your landlord now and let them know what's going on. Hiding it, you know, trying to avoid the inevitable just doesn't, it's never a good plan. The ostrich head in the sand syndrome, that's not a good way to live your life. Yep. Okay, Scott, I think we have answered Almost every question that our group members had asked us, you know, right now we're in trying times. These are uncharted waters, like I've said before. It's, we're winging it just like everybody else. And the way that you wing it is by having a plan in place to not have to wing it when it comes through. Yeah, you know, I, I think we've all we've all prepared accidentally by working towards financial freedom for exactly the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Uh, it certainly feels like it's delaying financial freedom, but it is really the it is really a natural part of the cycle that we've all that in preparing for financial freedom, you are preparing for. Yep. So uh, it's now time for the famous four, except that we don't have a guest and we've already answered those four questions. So why don't we leave our listeners with four tips today, Scott? Yeah, sounds great. So the first of those tips will be go to biggerpockets.com and create a membership on BiggerPockets. That will automatically subscribe you to our newsletter and you'll get to see the trending forum posts of the day right at the top of your dashboard, right? And that's important for two reasons. One, we are working very hard to produce a lot of uh, in-the-moment content that directly applies to the current reality that we're facing with the coronavirus, social distancing, those types of things and their impacts in the real estate market. And there's been a lot of really good pieces on there. And I think that's just the easiest and free way to, to, to get up-to-date information there. Uh, and then the other part of it is the things that we don't have answers for, we're able to crowdsource, right? So what will the impact of coronavirus be on real estate? Well, no one knew. And that's evolved rapidly over the last 15 days. And there's been a thread the entire time with 600 posts of people chiming in. It's really interesting to see the latest thinking and the differing opinions there and how that thought is, is improving and you get access to all of that and can join the discussion there. Yep. Another thing that we would suggest doing is to join our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash BP money and request to join. Please answer the question so we know that you are in fact a listener and not a fake person. And when you're in the Facebook group, share what you're going through, share your questions, you know, ping Scott or I or both of us and ask us for our opinion. You know, Scott and I are both working from home. Thank you, Scott, for closing the office. That was very sweet of you. So we don't all share. Sharing is not caring when it comes to the Mm -hmm. coronavirus. We're spending a lot of time. I don't have a commute anymore. So I just walk downstairs, hop on the computer, and I want to help you if I've got answers for you. And if I don't have answers for you, if Scott doesn't have answers for you, we've got like 3,000 people in the group that can help you figure out what's going on. That's right. And I just spend all day now hearting answers on Facebook. So (laughs) yeah, love it. All right. the The third tip is build yourself a new routine. A lot of you are going to be working from home. Do not allow that to be, I'm going to wake up late, a little bit hungover, not work out, snack all day on unhealthy stuff. I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff, right? I'm going to, instead, I'm going to wake up. 
I'm going to self-educate. I'm going to have a healthy fitness routine. I'm going to eat well, and I'm going to make this an opportunity to develop some healthy habits. And as part of that, um, we decided at Bigger Pockets to just reduce the prices of all of our uh, digital and audio books to 10 bucks flat. And if you don't like them, a money-back guarantee, no questions asked. We'll just re- re- refund your money there. So if, uh, as part of that, but go self-educate in whatever way you see fit. Make sure that you're investing in that right now because that's the easiest thing you can do and the, probably the most, one of the most productive things you can do over the next couple of weeks as we wait for things to develop. Yep. And any of our audiobooks can be found at biggerpockets.com slash store. Okay. The last thing we're going to do is we is ask a favor. I guess this isn't really a tip. It's more of a tip for us. Um, we love making this show for you. And we are sitting here on a Friday afternoon, frantically trying to get this podcast out as late in the week as possible so that we can bring you as much up-to-date information as we can. And we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating or a review or both on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Google Play, um, I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. Uh, whatever it's called, wherever you get your shows. Uh, We would really like to hear from you and we would really love a rating and a review. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we've actually thrown out a number of, of podcasts that we had pre-recorded so that we could you know, record on Friday evenings now and have the most up-to-date stuff for these Monday shows. So yeah, we, we definitely appreciate those reviews, those honest reviews you give us on, on iTunes, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Scott, we didn't throw them out. We are postponing them because, Ah. (laughs) you know, we've got a series of how I paid off my debt interviews coming up and they're all really great interviews. I'm super excited to share them with people, but they don't seem right to be released right now. So we will be releasing them later, you know, after this kind of dies down. Um, And, you know, if you are listening to this and you have a friend that you think would benefit from this information, please share it with them. And, you know, on that note, due to the the quarantine, I've decided that, I, and the snow, really, I've decided I'm only going to be telling inside jokes from here on out. Oh my goodness. I'm still going to quit every single day. <laughs> so the first one of those is, you know, I, I've recently run out of, out of toilet paper and I've had to begin using old newspapers. And man, the times are rough. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we hope that you have a wonderful week at home and make the most of your situation. Yes. And yes, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. We would not be able to do this without you because there would be nobody to do it for. Uh, Just a reminder, all of the links that we mentioned can be found in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show 117. All right. From... Uh, that just sounds weird. I just gave the link. And then from episode 117 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, I am Indy Jensen and he is Scott Trench and we are locked inside. So send us, oh, send terrible jokes to scott at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> only only quarantine related jokes. Tasteful ones, please. <laughs> oh, I had a joke. Somebody sent a joke. I thought it was great. I said I was going to use it in my podcast. He had it on Twitter. Um, Morgan Housel is one of my favorites and he had it. I think I sent it to you, Scott. Let's see. Oh, nope, that's not it. Oh, why does Norway put barcodes on the side of their boats? So when the ships come back to port, they can Scandinavian. Uh, well, now now I've got to, I've got to tell, tell my one about Finland. Finland's just closed their borders. So nobody's going to be crossing the finish line anytime soon. Oh my goodness. Okay. So the one that I told is from Rory Karen. Thanks, Rory. 
But now we just need a Swedish joke to round things out. Please tell us uh, in Facebook, please. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.